you would turn with me to Psalm 119. This morning we're at verse 89. It's on page 514 of the Bibles that are in the chairs there. Okay, so we're in Psalm 119. The past couple of weeks we've, we've seen how God's people deal with adversity. And the psalmist, the first week we looked at how he, through the experience of suffering, began to understand God's goodness in it and how it actually was good for him to go through it because he was drawn near to God. Then last week, we saw that in the context of his relationship with God, that the psalmist had questions to ask God in the midst of suffering. Questions like, when will you comfort me? How long must I endure this? And then finally, when will you judge those who are persecuting me? And then the psalmist ends the psalm resolving and and trusting in the steadfast love of God. This week, it's going to shift a little bit as the psalmist is going to begin to expand uh, what he's looking at. And he's going to begin to look to the heavens. He's going to begin to look at all creation and look at how God sustains all things and begin to attach his hope to that which is firmly fixed, the word of God, as, as he continues to go through adversity. So let's read the passage before us. Now that we've got microphones working and we're all called up on where we are, we're in Psalm 119, verse 89 through 96. This is God's word. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight... I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Please pray with me as we study God's word together. God, we give you thanks for your gracious word to us this day. The security and the stability that's found in it. And we pray that you would help us to, as we consider this passage before us, be reminded of your greatness, of your sovereignty, of your power, but also of your tender mercy and your love for your people. And that you would use your word to change us, that we might be more like Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Recently, I got some some difficult news that uh, Bojangles of Columbia Avenue in Lexington, South Carolina was closing. And uh, it was closing because they're building a shiny new one up the road. And since I'm unable to be there in person to protest, I wanted to share my feelings with you about it. Um, This Bojangles has always been there for me. Um, aside from the biscuits and sweet tea and that sort of thing, uh, when we moved, my family moved to Lexington, South Carolina in the early 90s, uh, began attending a church there and going to a youth group. And every Wednesday morning during high school, we went to Bojangles and had a prayer breakfast. I mean, every Wednesday. So it was a big deal. Like this was, this was a point of stability. This was something that was constant. And so even, you know, years later, whenever I would go home, you could always drive by that Bojangles, and it would be there. 
That Bojangles even survived a tornado uh, several years ago. We had to move to Burger King for a couple months with a prayer breakfast. But then we were back, right? We were back where we belonged at Bojangles. Uh, it was a fixed point. It was something we could count on. But as you know, things change. And so it is closing. Things are changing all the time around us. Maybe you think of a landmark or some kind of place in your hometown or a place that you know maybe here in Huntsville that you can always count on. Maybe you thought it would always be there, but then you find out that it's on the move, that it's been changed, it's been modified, or it's even been removed. And maybe you kind of try to find another place and say, well, at least this is still here, and I can cling to that for now. But sooner or later, things change. To an extent, we like change. Change can be very good. But there's something in us that also longs for stability, for a place where we can hang our hat, for something that will stay constant, even while everything else is on the move. And this gets amplified when change that happens in our lives brings about suffering, or brings about adversity like it has for the author of this psalm. When more than landmarks are at stake, and we find ourselves wanting to grab hold tightly of someone or something as we experience the instability that comes about with change. And it's to this need for stability and security that I think our psalm speaks loudly to this morning, that when the circumstances of life change, when the psalmist here finds himself still being pursued by enemies, when he's still dealing with suffering and affliction, that he looks to that which does not change, which is the word of God. So this morning, we're going to go in with the psalmist, and we're going to see where we can anchor our ship where we can look for a stable foundation, where we can have a secure eternal hope as we seek and and trust God and His good word to us. And the first thing we're going to see in this passage is that as we are looking for that security, that it is found in the word of God and that God creates and sustains the universe by His word. He creates and sustains the universe by His word And as he does so, he reveals his transcendence and his eminence. And we'll talk about those two words and what they mean in a moment. But here we see God bringing wonderful truths together in this passage that give us security. That we see both his transcendence and his eminence. We see that he is both beyond us and that he is both near to us at the same time. That he is the God who is holy, 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 who dwells in inapproachable light. Yet he is also our father who tenderly cares for us. In Psalm 119, in the section, we're reminded that God creates and that he has sustained the universe by his word. And this emphasizes the power and the transcendence of God. That we're to lift our eyes from this world, that we're to look above, look to the heavens. Where we see in verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. That in order to have true security and stability in a world of constant change, we must anchor ourselves in that which is firmly fixed. The word of God, that is spoken by God, that comes from God, who is in the heavens. We're to marvel here at God's power and creativity. That it was he who spoke the very heavens and earth into existence by his word. 
Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We know from the past couple of weeks as we've looked at this section of Psalm 119 that there are difficult circumstances happening. That there is affliction being suffered, even to the point of near death. Yet here he is, holding fast that which does not change, to the word of God, which is firmly fixed in the heavens, as it has always been and will be. He looks beyond his circumstances. He looks even beyond this world. He looks and fixes his eyes on the God who does not change. Verse 9, he shows us that God not only is transcendent and beyond us and holy, 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 but he is imminent. He is very near to us. So he draws near to his people. Verse 90 tells us that his faithfulness endures to all generations. That we can see clearly that God intervenes and is at work in the world that he created. We see this through all scriptures. We see this in history. We see it in our own lives. That his faithfulness endures as his Holy Spirit is at work in his people. As Christ is proclaimed throughout the whole world. We also see in verse 90 that God has not only created the heavens, but he has created the earth and it stands fast. So we're told here to look not only up to the heavens, but also look right where your feet are standing. That God has created that too, that he sustains it by his word. We see this in Hebrews 1.3 where Jesus, it says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Verse 91 in our passage, it gives us the picture of the heavens and the earth standing at attention like a soldier at at a military post, right? Ready to do the bidding of his commander where all things are servants of God as he sovereignly rules and reigns. And this is where we see God's sovereign power demonstrated and expressed it. He actually sustains the universe. that He created, as Isaiah 40 tells us, the stars of the sky. He brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. And because of his greatness and his power, not one of them is missing. Yet as we consider the wonders of the heavens and the earth and how God upholds and sustains all things, we also recognize this true of us as well, that he sustains you and he sustains me. When the Apostle Paul entered into Athens in the book of Acts, And he's talking to a bunch of uh, Greek folks who don't know God. He talks to them about creation. And he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything else. That he he was preaching to them how God created them, and how he sustains them. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reminds us of his sustaining sovereignty that we're to actually look at the birds of the air and see how God takes care of them. Lately, we, at our house, uh, right by our kitchen window, we put on one of those bird feeders that sticks to the window and stays there. And it took a couple weeks, but, man, now the birds are flying in, and they're just everywhere. And we're watching them every morning while we're eating breakfast, and we're seeing 
the beauty of God's creation and how he sustains even the smallest of creatures. So Jesus says, you look, you look at the birds of the air, you look at the lilies of the field and see how God provides for them and cares for them. And then he goes on to say that those things are very valuable, but you're more valuable than they are. And if God takes care of those things that are small, isn't he going to take care of you? So you can trust him that he will provide and provide for and sustain you. That you can be secure in his loving care. That you can cast aside anxiety about the changes and the things that are going on in life. And you can seek him first above all else. This notion of God creating and sustaining the universe and everything in it is it can be hard for us to grab hold of. There are those who oppose God as creator and sustainer who want to explain how we got here and how we keep going in different ways. There are those who also ascribe to what historically has been called deism that basically states that God, okay, maybe he set the world in motion, kind of got it started, but he doesn't really intervene or interfere or involve himself anymore. That he has taken a step back and we therefore sustain ourselves. And naturally what these philosophies lead to is us as humans being our own kings, right? That we can do what we want. That we can even run over those who are weaker in the process as we try to get ahead. And it takes us from a position of depending upon God as the one who has created us and sustains us to trying to be independent from Him and do things on our own. The writer of Hebrews says it's by faith that we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. That it is by faith. But as we see through all Scripture, this is not some kind of blind, gigantic leap of faith. It's a receiving of what God has clearly communicated about Himself and His work, both in His Word, where He has told us in so many different ways that He is our Creator and Sustainer, and in His world, where He has demonstrated to us His power in creating and sustaining us. Whether it's a breathtaking sunset or holding a newborn baby, or the roar of an ocean, or the song of a bird, and I can go on and on talking about God's creation and how we see His work in it. So we look back at the psalm, we will notice that there's words of security that are attached to this. That His word is firmly fixed. That His faithfulness endures. That this earth is established, is standing fast. That God in His transcendence and eminence, in His powerful creative perfection, yet also in His faithful, tender, merciful care, has created and sustains not, not only the universe, but me and you as well. And if he's got the universe standing at attention, hanging on his every word, then he's got you. And he's got me. And he's not going to let us go. Secondly, we, we're going to see in the passage that we have security because the God who created and sustains the universe actually binds us to him and gives us true freedom in his word. And so it goes like this, that the the universe itself responds to God's command. If it's standing at attention for its maker to give instruction, then what about us? What is our response to God's word? 
the psalmist here in verse 94. He gives the testimony that God has given him life and therefore he belongs to God. So verse 94 begins with this wonderful phrase where he says, I am yours. That he trusts in the promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God who is faithful. That he grabs hold of the one who has already grabbed hold of him. As we think about our lives, as we think about what this means to belong to God, that as God's people, we can, we can see this and grab hold of it, that we have tremendous security and stability. What a gift it is to belong to God. That we are His and He is ours. When we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, Our Father in Heaven, that we're staking a claim that we are a child of God. That not only has He created us and, has, and He sustains us, but He's redeemed us and we belong to Him. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that, hey, you're not your own. You were bought, bought at a price. Not price from your redemption. For your salvation from sin was paid on the cross where Jesus died for you. That we echo the words of the psalm when we say, crying out to God that I am yours. I belong to you because of what Jesus has done for us. Because we belong to him, because he is our creator, sustainer, and redeemer, we therefore respond to his word. Verse 92, his law is to, to be our delight. Verse 93 and 94, his precepts are to be remembered and sought after. His testimonies are to be considered. That even in his affliction, even with the wicked closing in, as it were, laying in wait for him, he clings to God's word and he delights in it. We see this over and over again as we've looked at the psalm that we respond to God's faithfulness and his redemption by clinging to, by delighting in, by faithfully obeying His Word. Rather than wanting to distance ourselves from God in some way, we actually are to draw near as He draws near to us. Recently, a man in Arkansas made the news. Um, and he made the news because he ran over a monument that had been put up the day before. Now, I don't know if you saw this, but this monument was dedicated to the Ten Commandments. And so they had done a lot of work and, and all this, and they had gotten the, the monument put up right there in a prominent place in town. There it was, a monument to the Ten Commandments. And so this man recorded himself on his phone as he proceeded to run into the monument with his car which was a Dodge Dart, by the way, that's important. And so he, he goes and he's, he's in his car and he's recording himself and he says a few things. And as he goes to run into the monument in his Dodge Dart, he yells out at the top of his lungs, freedom! As he smashes into the monument of the Ten Commandments. Now, if there's anything that expresses, I think, our culture's current view of God, and of his law, well, that's pretty much it, isn't it? That we think that freedom is found by casting off restraint, by not belonging to anyone, by not obeying authority, by, not, by pursuing instead our own agendas and being our own kings. That if we somehow can demolish those things that are holding us back, then we would truly be free. 
while in reality, we're actually wrecking ourselves in the process. So when we look here at verse 96, and we see this, it says, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. This verse just knocks us over in so many ways. It's a complete reversal of the guy in Arkansas crashing into a Ten Commandments monument. Rather than seeing freedom as something that is limited by God's Word that we somehow have to break free of, we see God's Word as that which gives true freedom. While we are those who are limited and unable to be truly free on our own. As uh, humans, we're constantly confronted by our limitations, by our inability, whether it be physical, mental, or spiritual. That even at best, even at our best, there are limits to what we can do. But verse 96 is here to tell us that there's a contrast between us and God. And that God is not limited. We were reminded earlier in the passage that He is forever. That He create, created and sustains all things. That, that the universe responds to His word. That He sovereignly administrates His will and His rule and His reign over all times and all places. And His commandment, it says here, is exceedingly broad. That His Word is not subject to change. It is not bound by the limitations. That there's no time or place in the universe that we can go to that is outside the reign and rule of God's limitless Word. So you think about this verse and how we might respond. I want to mention a few things here. and These things are maybe simple on the surface, but very hard to do very hard for us to implement in our lives. uh, And we need His grace to do so. And the the first thing is this, is that we must recognize that we have limits in every way and praise the God who has no limits. It's what some call the creator-creature distinction, that He is God and therefore I am not. That the sin beneath many of our sins is our desire to want to be God. To think that we can somehow sustain ourselves. That we can be our own authority. That we can somehow find a way to make it on our own. And we must instead say, no, I have limits. I am not Him. But I praise the God who has no limits. Secondly, we have to recognize our sin and our inability to meet God's perfect standard. That God's commandment being exceedingly broad must cause us to stop for a moment and see that we have fallen short of His glory. One writer attempted, uh, compared it to attempting to jump over the Grand Canyon. Like imagine us all going to the Grand Canyon and having to go at it, right? Let's see if we can make it over. We wouldn't get very far, would we? But God's perfection and seeing who He is and His limitlessness. Is that a word? I don't know. His limitlessness. His commandment is exceedingly broad that we acknowledge that we are sinful and that we are in need of a Savior. And we confess that to Him. And then we recognize, thirdly, that we receive that Christ has lived and died and been raised for us that He has come and fulfilled the exceedingly broad commandments, that He has come and fulfilled the law on our behalf, 
and that He died for our sins to reconcile us to God. That He came free to set us, He came to set us free from the chains of sin and death and give us eternal life. That true freedom and security is found in being united to Jesus Christ by faith. We must see our need of His saving and sustaining grace and trust Him as through His life and death and resurrection that we can have security both now and forever. We also want to, to know this as God's people, that if God's Word is limitless and it's not confined by time and space, and His rule and His reign is happening, that He is very much at work in this world today through His Word being applied by His Holy Spirit. And if that's the case, then we, we can join in His labors. And that those labors that we do as we work for God's kingdom, as we participate in proclaiming Christ to all nations, that those things are not in vain. Because God is on the move. That He is at work. He is building His kingdom. And we're to, to go all in with Him in working and serving and loving uh, as He has commanded us. And finally, as we consider how to apply this, we, we want to say that as those who belong to God and are bound to Him, that His Word is where true freedom is found. That as the psalmist says here, we can delight in the Word of God. We can grab hold to that which is secure, that is fixed, that is firm. We can rejoice that we, we are not our own, that we instead belong to God who created us and sustains us, who has redeemed us and saved us, and that we are His. I want to close with a quote from John Calvin. It's, the, uh, it's 500 years of uh, Reformation this year since Luther nailed his theses uh, to the door there in Wittenberg uh, in 1517. And so, you know, it's, not, it's a good time as any to quote John Calvin, right? He's uh, a wonderful um, pioneer and one who went before us uh, in clinging to the Word of God uh, in a time where that was not necessarily popular. And in doing so, helped spark the Protestant Reformation and everything that has come after. And so, um, with, you know, when we think about history and we think about God's people and God's work, uh, he was one that God used mightily. And he had this to say as he was reflecting on uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, which talks about not clinging to the patterns of this world anymore, but instead having our minds transformed uh, and pursuing God. He says this, He says, we then are not our own, but we belong to the Lord. And therefore, it is clear what error we must flee and where we must direct all the acts of our life. That we are not our own, let not our reason nor our will therefore sway our plans and deeds. We are not our own. Let us therefore not set as our goal to seek what is expedient for us according to the flesh. We are not our own insofar as we can. Let us... Therefore, forget ourselves and all that is ours. Conversely, we belong to God. Let us therefore live for Him and die for Him. We belong to God. Let His wisdom and will therefore rule all our actions. 
We belong to God. Let the parts of our life accordingly strive toward Him as our only lawful goal. So we're reminded that instead of looking to ourselves, we're to look to God. We're to look to His Word firmly fixed in the heavens and know that He, though He is beyond us, though He is eternal, though He is limitless, has drawn near to us, that He has mercifully saved us and redeemed us through Christ who He sent to live and die and be raised for us. That He has drawn near to us that we can draw near to Him. Please pray with me. Father, Your commandment is exceedingly broad. Your Word is without limit. And we thank You that You have given it to us that you have sent your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to how we can understand your word and how we can rest in your truth. We thank you for Jesus who came and who lived and fulfilled your law perfectly, who died upon the cross for our sins and was raised again, that we can have life, that we can say, I am yours. Help us uh, this week, Lord to live uh, in that reality that we belong to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.